G'day Sparta. Welcome to episode four of Not the Sparta Town Council podcast. And in today's episode, we're going to sit down with chairman of the Sparta planning board, Drew Rena. You might recall this from episode one. Mr. Wright, I appreciate you making a mockery of these hearings. How's that a mockery? And Mr. Rayner, if you are listening, you are the person making a mockery of those proceedings. Not me. I've never seen anything like them in my entire career. And I would absolutely love to talk to you about it. So if you've got the guts to front up to the community about what you're presiding over in that planning board, then hit me up on the email in the episode notes and let's tee up an interview. Well, unlike Hertzberg and Quinn, who continue to hide behind a false shield of legal liability and say they can't speak to the press, Drew has risen to the occasion and we sat down for an hour or so on Wednesday. We discussed how we found ourselves here, what the process for changing ordinances is, and how the permitted use exemption ties the planning board's hands. We even spoke about what Drew thinks about the quality of the advice the planning board's been getting from town professionals. But first, we're going to zero in on the role that Stan Putch and CP engineers played in advising our town council to change the rules which disqualified Diamond Chip's application from community review. In episode three, we learned about how at a meeting in February 2021, Sparta Township's five-person elected town council voted to collapse the normal model for soliciting professional advice. The previous model, where a full-time salaried employee of the township runs the process of soliciting advice from professionals, was shut down and in its place, an arrangement largely unique to Sparta Township was installed. It's an arrangement where one firm called CP Engineers run by a guy called Stan Putsch, exerts influence over the entire building approval process. And the new model means that the circuit breaker that used to exist between the financial interests of developers and their contractors and our township's interests doesn't work properly anymore. Today, we're gonna look at what Stan Putsch did with his newly expanded position of influence. At a meeting in February 2021, our town council members voted to approve two changes which govern property developers' access to a special exemption in our township's building approval code called the Permitted Use Exemption. At that meeting, council member Dan Chiariello, the only town council member to vote no on the changes, was the only person to ask any questions about what the ordinance changes may amount to in the future. Here's what he asked. The guy answering is Stan Putsch. And so we're, we're adding these as allowable centers, uh, and I think that scale matters here, right? So there's no statement as to the scope of this. So does adding a warehouse to this area add, you know, two trucks a day or 200 trucks a day? Um, is, is the scale addressed here at all? So, so, just... so Council Member Chiariello just asked, what sort of additional traffic can we expect to be generated by expanding the height of buildings which are permitted uses? 
And here's what Stan Putch said in response. And remember, this hearing took place before Diamond Chip ever lodged their application to develop Sparta ReadyMix into a multimodal logistics interchange. When the town council was being presented with changes to the ordinances that were apparently general in their nature. This is, a, uh, this is an ordinance part of the comprehensive land use code. So what this does is this describes the standards that developers must comply with when applying to site, site plan approval. And that is what we refer to in journalism as a non-answer. But Dan's not going to have his question shut down that easily. Okay, but, it, but under the allowed uses, it specifically says, which wasn't there before, transshipment facilities, warehouses, and wholesale distribution centers. And listen to Push's answer here. Again, he doesn't answer the question, but he does let something slip. Right. Again, the reference to that particular use is directly correlating to the intent of why we're doing this. We're looking at properties that are immediately adjacent to the existing rail lines. And we're simply recognizing that those properties are in a unique position to take advantage of using rail shipment. So since that had not been affirmed previously as an appropriate use, it seems logical here to simply acknowledge the reason why we're making this change is to look at those properties immediately adjacent to the rail line and to recognize the potential that they may want to use those rail lines in their operation. So according to Push, the ordinance changes are, quote, directly correlated to the intent of why we're doing this. What Push is trying to do here is thread the needle between saying that the ordinance changes are tailored only to sites adjacent to a railway line without saying that they're being tailored to a specific development already in the works behind the scenes. But that's a line which is getting harder and harder for Push to walk because a month after Push told council member Chiariello that the changes were general in nature, Diamond Chip's own lawyer, Stephen Gowan, said this while he was under oath. Um, I don't think we need to hit every purpose of uh, zoning in the state of New Jersey. That was the reason for adopting the ordinance amendment to the EV zone to, per- to permit this project. And we are fully consistent with this ordinance. So Push is directly stating that the changes are being made as a general reform to make investment in sites adjacent to the railway line more attractive. But the consortium who turned up to apply under these new rules one month after they were changed have directly stated that they orchestrated the changes. So someone's telling fibs. And I think it's pretty difficult to imagine a scenario where Diamond Chip's own lawyer fabricated this extremely damning statement in a formal legal setting when it's so severely damaging to Diamond Chip's case. And it gets worse. Listen to the advice that Push gives council member Chiariello on when the right time is to analyse things like the impact of traffic generated by these reforms. As to the number of trucks, that has everything to do with what the proposed operation is. And the land use ordinance doesn't regulate traffic. Traffic becomes an issue of each application. And if a traffic study is conducted, which I would think it would be logical with most of these, it would be through that study and through the particulars of that application that traffic would be dealt with.
This is where things start to look pretty bad for Mr. Putsch. What he just said is that any application made under the revised ordinances would warrant a traffic review. And that would be the right time for Councilmember Chiariello to ask his questions. But here's the problem. The laws that Putsch is recommending the town council pass have the effect of specifically excluding a traffic study from occurring at the time of the application. So the advice Putsch is giving here isn't just bad, it's actively misleading. And in view of what we now know about Diamond Chip's involvement in orchestrating the changes, his comments have not aged well. A month or so ago, a local Sparta attorney, not Neil Clark or Anan Dash, filed a request under New Jersey's Open Public Records Act, referred to as OPRA, for all emails between the town professionals involved in Diamond Chip's proposal and the township. We got those documents yesterday, and there's a mountain of stuff to review. And while I'm still working through it, here's a sample. In an email dated July 1, 2021, Putsch directly discusses the Diamond Chip proposal with Clerk of the Sparta Planning and Zoning Boards, Diana Katzenstein, and Sparta Township Clerk, Kathleen Chambers. A request to amend laws pertaining to water use on Diamond Chip's site was being forwarded around the township to figure out who the correct authority to weigh in on that request was. In the email chain, Town Clerk Kathleen Chambers identifies the changes to rules around water as being something appropriate for the Planning and Zoning Boards to review. And so she emails Diana, the clerk of the Planning and Zoning Boards. Good morning, Diana. I believe this should go to you. Check with the attorney. I printed the documents so I'll bring them over to you. Kate Chambers, Barta Township Municipal Clerk. And then immediately thereafter, Stan Putch weighs in. Kate, this is not a planning slash zoning matter. It should be handled by my office. Before we do anything... I will first discuss this with Neil after he is back. Stanley G. Pushed, President, CP Engineers. Doesn't sound great, right? (laughs) Well, next episode, you're going to meet Dean Blumetti, chair of the Sparta Township Environmental Commission. And he's going to tell you his views on the unfolding fiasco, as well as raise some pretty direct questions about the environmental aspects of what Diamond Chip have been able to orchestrate in advance of their application. And we'll dig a lot deeper into the documents that have been obtained under OPRA. Spoiler alert, a lot of people involved in this entire saga who said they didn't know about the project early on in the piece are going to have a pretty hard time continuing to push that line. Okay, sorry for the radio silence this week. There's been a fair bit going on in Washington, so I've been busy at work. And also, I've been waiting on these documents. 
uh, and there's a mountain of important stuff contained therein. So I'm looking forward to sharing it with you on an ongoing basis. But now we have Chairman of the Sparta Township Planning Board, Drew Rayner, on the show. Um, one of the most important aspects of this whole fiasco is understanding how the rules were changed in advance of Diamond Chip's application in order to specifically tie the hands of the planning board in adjudicating the approval of their project. And that's what we got into first in our interview. So without further ado, here's Drew. Okay, just say something just to test it. Hello, Jack. All right. So I've just clicked record. We're here with the chairman of the planning board, Drew Rayner. Actually, am I correct? Am I pronouncing your surname correctly? Rayner? Yep, Rayner. Rayner. Okay. Um, it can be funny with my accent. We say vowels differently. Everybody says my last name differently anyway, so yeah. you're good. And so anyone who was at the planning board meeting that I first attended and, and who's been listening to the podcast will remember that Drew and I had a fiery little interchange. But... Uh, he, uh, he's responded admirably to my call to action, and he's here to discuss to the community what's going on. Um, so thank you very much for coming, Drew. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. It's the right thing to do. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. We'll just crack a beer. There you go. Cheers, mate. Cheers. See, if you come in after 5 p.m. Oh, hang on. It's 3. If you come after 3 p.m. onto the podcast, you, get, you don't get coffee. <laughs> you get beer. So, um, Drew, do you just want to give us a bit of background on how long you've lived in Sparta, how you ended up on the planning board, that sort of stuff? Yeah, I'm happy to. So, um, I grew up in Sparta. So, born and bred in Sparta. Spent most of uh, our, my life and uh, certainly my childhood. Met my wife here in Sparta. So, we're high school sweethearts. Been married. Awesome. Got together almost 30 years now. Um, had left Sparta for a little bit for college. So, mm -hmm. had gone down to the D.C. and the Northern Virginia area. And then we uh, decided to do a little bit of stint down in Southern Florida uh, just to have a good time. I'd you know, put myself through school and after working and killing ourselves for quite some time, decided let's go down to South Beach and have a little bit of fun. And uh, when we, we started having uh, our first child, we decided, look, I mean, this is probably one of the most wonderful places you could raise a family. Mm. Um, and we still had a lot of immediate and extended family in the neighborhood and in the areas. So we came back. So uh, three generations now. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of, um, a lot of families that have, you know, that have probably laid down roots here. I think it's one of the great things about the town. Like, you know, you've got um, third, sometimes even fourth generations of families like hanging around down at the boardwalk and stuff. Awesome. Absolutely. It yeah. is cool. Really cool. And so um, obviously, you know, the reason why um, I've started this podcast and what we're here to discuss, um, I understand that as the chairman of the planning board, you can't specifically comment on any specific application. So I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I think what um, we should talk about is a few things around process and how, how the process is discharged. Um, and that might help us understand some of the um, questions that the community has at the moment. So what, what is the normal process for uh, a developer to to build something in Sparta, save I don't know, pick, pick pick any other industrial development which has already been completed and and that wasn't a permitted use, and I, and I think it'd be helpful just to describe how that process unfolds. So it's different if it's permitted use versus unpermitted use. So two very big distinctions. So normally at the planning board level, we're seeing either site applications uh, or we're seeing subdivision sort of applications. Typically what happens is <clears throat> we'll go in, 
we will then be presented with, you know, what is the site? What's the size, the scope, the operations? Does it conform to the ordinances that we have? Um, and, and really, effectively, our role is kind of the, the jury, if you will, mm. to make sure that it does comply, that it's, you know, consistent with the master plan. Um, and then, you know, if there are things that are not consistent with it or things that we disagree with, mm. we'll go back and we'll ask them, hey, have you thought about this or, or would you consider that? So, you know, it's it, it's a very open process with any of the developers. And then it, it could not even just from a development perspective, mm. somebody's coming in, there's a new tenant, you know, they'll yeah. come to the board for approval. If they want to put up a new sign, they'll come to the board for, to, for approval. Yeah. So, you know. And so how does that process change when a applicant um, lodges their application under the permitted use regime versus the conditional use regime. So if it's a conditional use does not mean that, you know, it can't go forward or anything else like that. It's a conditional use and they've got to, they've got to then cite their, their case basically mm -hmm. to the board. Um, and if there are inconsistencies with it, we can grant variances. Um, if there's something material or if it's not permitted in the use, then it would typically go to the zoning board. Okay. But just to be really clear. So the typical process um, for an applicant is one that where you reach into an analysis of details like the amount of traffic that's going to be pushed onto the community's roads or, you know, maybe could you list a couple of other things that you would consider in a normal application? And yeah. Then I, and then I want to understand which of those considerations you aren't allowed to incorporate under the permitted use regime. So when we look at a permitted use, it's really around the site itself. So you're looking at, you know, again, there's, it's very actually atypical to do a traffic study um, for permitted uses, because normally you're looking at just that site. So, you know, you're looking for what is the ingress and egress? How are, you know, trucks getting in and out? What is the impact around the facility or or the site? So that that's predominantly when a traffic study would come into play. So, so. As you look at uh, a permitted use application, you consider things that are pertaining specifically to the site, but you are released from uh, having to incorporate the impact more broadly. Would that be a fair? Would that be a fair? Yeah, I think it's. I think it's a fair description. I mean, intuitively, obviously, you wanna you wanna understand and have an impact. What is the broader impact overall? But really, from an authority perspective, you're you're there looking at it, at that specific. Site. Right, and this is a really important point. This is not that you you guys look at a permitted use and you make your own determination as to what you can and can't incorporate. Yeah. This is a law it is. that says if this project qualifies as a permitted use, you guys aren't allowed to incorporate XYZ outside of the project's actual specific footprint. Uh, true. So typically, no, you, you're not. But I will say our job is to determine the facts and the impacts overall. So when we look at any site or application, if there are unique natures of it, then we would and, and could look at that. And again, because there are, when we look at it, we may go back to any applicant and say, hey, look, would you consider this? You know, you coming out of this, there may be an impact on, you know, if you're talking about traffic, there's very limited, you know, we can affect state, we can affect uh, town roads. We can't affect county roads. We can't affect, you know, uh, any state roads or anything else like that. But yeah, you would want to get a holistic look of at least the immediate, th those areas that are specific to the town. Right. Okay. And so, I mean, this and this is one of the really big problems, right? Because I've banged on in some of the meetings and in my articles and stuff about this regulatory circular reference where um, sort of to some extent the town council directs the community to the planning board and the zoning board jointly. But then, you know, you guys um, 
when you've been asked questions pertaining to the definition of this project, and I know that you can't speak about uh, the definition of a project, rather, um, that you that's not something that you just debate with the community in an open forum. Is that fair? And if, if you don't make those decisions, who does? So our, our role in that is to make sure, so if somebody is applying for uh, manufacturing, for example, our role is, is it manufacturing? Does it conform to it? And just because uh, you know, a particular site says they conform to it doesn't mean that it does. And that's, again, the role and the purpose of the hearings and why you go through such lengths to really drive whether it's the the infrastructure the architecture whether it's the you know the environmental the stormwater management you know all those different components that you'll hear during the course of of most any of the applications right um so yeah that's where but you won't hear that in a permitted use application will you won't hear which piece well any of those pieces the impacts to to anything on site um from an off-site perspective yes and no Again, you'll hear about it and there's areas that we can take into consideration. So if there's something that is impacting or if it's got a greater impact beyond just that site, mm. we will we will look at that. You know, the length and the distance and how far you say, I mean, that's a judgment call in terms of how far you can go. Maybe. Okay, but to be clear, like what I'm trying to get at here is like when members of the town council and Christine Quinn was the one who did this the other day when I saw it, but they, they're telling members of the community. So they told a woman named Sally Larson who came to the town council meeting and she said, I'm concerned about the traffic this is going to push into the school zones. And she named two school zones near where she lived, which are not on the site mm-hmm. to be clear. Right. And council member Quinn said, thanks for coming and bring this to our attention. It's very important. I'm going to pass this on to the chairman of the planning board and he's going to take care of it. So yeah. what I think, you know, and uh, tell me if I'm wrong, but what I think happened there was that Council Member Quinn took a genuine and and not even a hostile, like she wasn't one of the community members that's been there yelling and banging on like me. This is a this was somebody who approached with complete sincerity and um and 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 asked for something very seriously to be reviewed, and she kind of fobbed it off onto you. So I mean, I think people need to know once and for all: Are you allowed? to actually consider whether or not this project will push extra traffic into our school zones? So the answer is yes, we can consider it. The question of is whether or not you can look at any application and what is the impact of it. Are we're confined to does it conform to the ordinance? Is it the specific site? So when you talk about, for example, traffic and traffic mm-hmm. impact on a broader basis, as a planning board, any planning board would do that when they go through master review, for example. So we've got review periods that we go through. I think it's every 10 years that they mm. typically go through like in a re-examination. And mm. part of that is looking at demographics, looking at the housing market, looking at traffic patterns, looking at, you know, impacts. So <clears throat> there is, an, and, and the town always has an opportunity to engage in a traffic study. If there's something that they're looking to specifically identify or right. if there's a trouble that comes up or an issue that comes up. Well, so just to be clear though, so, so this is, this is, I do want to talk about this, the process of, of master review plan and all that sort of stuff and how that feeds into your role. But, but just to be clear, at this point in the process where we are now for any project that is applied for today under the current ordinances that exist, if something qualifies as a permitted use, are you able to review the amount of traffic that goes into our school zones as a result of the project? Typically not. No. Okay. So, and look, this is, I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm pinning you on the language here because it's really important to understand the sequence, right? Because it's not, um, it's very important to understand sequentially at what time in the different proceeds that, that 
um, are involved in building approvals that certain questions can be asked and can be actioned by the people that preside over those proceedings. And so it's really important just to, to, to lock down the fact that as it is now, you can't make that adjudication on a permitted use project. So that does lead us pretty neatly to the next question, which is the regime that exists to decide what is and what is not a permitted use project and thus what will and will not be reviewed for its impact to the community is controlled by a set of laws called ordinances. Um, they, they control all sorts of different things, you know, but but they pertain to, to building approvals as well. So the ordinance changes um, that came through in February of 2021, there were two. One of them was to expand the uh, height of a project um, that could qualify as a permitted use. And I think they bumped it from 34 to 56 feet, um, but I might be, yeah, is that right? 35 to 56. And they increased the percentage of a site which can be permanently paved over before it requires an automatic conditional use approval. So the aggregate impact of those two things, um, you know, has been material and there's an application before the board now, which I won't ask you to comment directly on, um, but which has, um, which is a permitted use under the revised ordinances, but was not a permitted use before the ordinances were changed. So I, I think what the community would love to hear is a, is a description from you of, of what the process of, of an ordinance change is insofar as the planning board is involved. Um, so if you want to start with that. Yeah, I'm happy to. So normally in you know with with an ordinance change those are, you know the the town council will typically come to the planning board and ask us, "Hey, look, you know, we think that we'd like you guys to review this." Um in such time normally then the professional, you know, the town professionals will come in, the engineer, the planners, um our you know our engineer C CP David Simmons and others um that are involved in the process and and they'll they'll kind of present to us okay this is what is being requested so they'll they'll send that over to us from a draft perspective and say look we'd like you to look at these things these are the things that we need to consider or this is what we would like to change this has been the request can you guys evaluate it sorry to interrupt you I might do this a couple of times no that's Re okay requested by who so typically requested by town council Okay, so the council has asked the engineers to draft some rule changes that you will then review. Is that correct? Right? Okay, yep. Um, so during that process, then we'll open up a meeting. It'll be specific to any any ordinance that we're looking at. Um, at which time they will kind of walk through what are the proposed changes, mm -hmm. and you know what does that what does that mean, and, and really what's the purpose behind the ordinance change, mm. um, and what is the impact of the uh, of the ordinance. Got change. it. And so, so this is the point, and this is where you you were going earlier on about the the time that you do make adjudications about the impact of an ordinance you you will think about things like traffic when reviewing a potential ordinance change yeah so um that begs a very obvious question which is how did that review of the potential traffic impact of these or two or two changes go in february so as it was explained to us it was really i mean when we when the planners looked at the business and where i'm sorry when they looked at the overall master plan mm -hmm. and the re-examination as part of that they recognize that you've got an economic development zone that is really not highly utilized. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point, it was part of the recommendation is let's look at the ordinances because you've got different properties that are along the rail line that can't take advantage of it. Um, so then it was presented to us with regards to let's take a look at that. Let's look at, you know, these are the recommendations that we would, you know, provide to you. It's, you know, part of what we're seeing across, you know, different 
um, municipalities. It's what we're seeing across different you know geographies, and that our existing statutes were a little bit outdated, and folks could not you know leverage the fact that they were sitting on a rail. Right, and and I mean, we we now know categorically that that representation is not accurate in terms of the purpose of these changes. Um, so how does that, I mean, I, I, I think it's completely fair enough and reasonable that you guys should rely on expert advice in terms of, you know, when someone puts a request like this in front of you, because you don't initiate it, right? They, they bring it to you. You can't be expected to to try and forecast the ramifications of every individual rule change which crosses your desk. So I think it's reasonable to, to rely on professional advice. But how do you feel about the advice you've been getting? I mean, it's clearly not honest. I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't call it dishonest. And I don't know that, you know, again, if there were material facts or omissions, things like that, I, you know, I, I don't want to speak to what could or couldn't have been malicious yeah. intent. I, I don't need, like, you don't need to make those allegations because I'm willing to make them for you. <laughs> so if you, if you listen to the tapes, right, this is presented, actually, it's not even as a, as a rule change that won't impact traffic. Stan Push actually says that it will reduce traffic. Um, uh, and there's all sorts of fun reasons why that won't be the case, even in addition to the fact that the footprint is just really large. For instance, Spider Ready Mix isn't even closing. It's moving up the road 300 meters, right? So like there's all these sorts of just, you know, stuff that if it happened in a bigger setting, like the, you would never get away with saying these sorts of things on record and seeing, and seeing the project proceed. But I digress. So what, I mean, do you think that there needs to be a review of the way that that advice is furnished to the planning board? Like, you know, because clearly something slipped through the cracks here. Yeah. And a lot of people have asked me, said, you know, how could, you know, when you look at an application, how do you not know that application is coming, irregardless of what the application is? Right. Um, and the reality is we don't. You know, the first time we see any application is when it's fully complete and it's presented to the board because, you know, that's the jury part of it kicks in then to make sure and, you know, ensure that does it conform? Does it, you know, is this consistent with totally, what looking but if for? you've primed the battlefield in a way that means that the people who make that decision, i.e. you and your fellow board members at that point have, have missed their opportunity to, to ask for a review of, of, of the impact to the community like that does, that must piss you off, doesn't it? It, it can. And there are times that it has pissed me off. And, and, you know, I'm sure it's frustrated others from the standpoint that, you know, I think you you step into these boards and like you've heard from 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 many people that have either been at the meetings or <laughs> have been, you know, in, in town council. I think, you know, you step into these trying to do the right things for the town. Again, I mean, most of us have grown up here, lived here, and, mm. and you're trying to do and make good decisions. And, uh, you know, to a large extent, yeah, the, you, you are relying on other, you know, because we're not the experts, you know, I am oh, not. It's not a full-time <laughs> job. And no, like, you're, you're doing it out of, out of a sense of wanting to do something good for the community, right? Which is, which is hugely admirable. But it's also why, and this isn't a new story. This happens everywhere all the time. There's no shortage of spivvy property developers in the world who try to gain an edge in local planning like it's it's the it's a core part of the business model of being a property developer right so there's always going to be attempts to to advantage you know proposals as they land on the various approval boards desks 
But I think we need to insist on a better process for understanding some of the strategies that may be being used by people that are trying to circumvent the community review of an approval like this. And I mean, yeah, and I, you know, and I would share with you, Jack, it's not, and I, I've heard a lot about, again, there, you know, there shouldn't be any discussion with engineers or planners or any of the other stuff. And, and the reality is that, you know, there needs to be, because anybody in their right mind doing any application is going to want to make sure, does this conform? Does this not conform? What is it, things that they need to consider? I mean, it's with any development, obviously it's a, it's an investment that somebody is making. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not inherently wrong for them. I mean, I would expect anybody, you know, myself included, if I were developing a project, I'd want to work with the town. Some consultation is normal. For sure it is normal. But what, what, what has changed, right, is formally and historically the structure for soliciting professional advice in the township has been that one individual who's a full-time salaried employee of the town is employed as some people call it a town engineer, others call it a town uh, planner. But effectively this person, you know, it's a full-time job. And as and when applications and applicants approach the town, one of their roles is to, you know, to be engaged with them, to to marshal some of that interaction, but also to then decide which professionals need to be drawn down upon to, you know, comment on that application. Now, as it pertains to something like an ordinance change, the same thing would apply if you would have an impartial um, sort of person quarterbacking the process of like, you know, do we need someone who's an expert on water? Do we need someone who's expert on traffic? Whatever it is. But <laughs> ironically, in actually in the same meeting, where they passed the ordinance changes, which has everybody so fired up now, they they collapsed that structure and they they empowered Stanpush and CP engineers as all of those roles at once. So, I mean, to me, that there was a circuit breaker between the financial interests of developers and the interests of the township because a town engineer or town planner is not going to get paid anymore if the project first of all, is applied for, second of all, succeeds. But more importantly than any of that, the town planner is not allowed to have an outside commercial relationship with anybody else that isn't disclosed to the town. Now, that sort of due diligence has not categorically not been done on CP engineers whilst they've been put into this position of elevated authority. So, I mean, to me, it seems like a really problematic setup that needs to be changed. I mean, do, do, does it sound to you so, like something needs to be looked at? Yeah. So let me, you know, let me just put my my resident hat on and not the planning board. You know, I, I agree. And I know that there were, there are reasons for that. I mean, we, as we've heard in, in previous discussions, I think, you know, as a result of, you know, different town planners or engineers, you know, rotating out. Yeah, it was, it was definitely not, I should be clear about that. Sorry to interrupt you, Drew. I should be clear about that. The, the, it's not that there was like some night of the long knives yeah. where the old town plan, the old town planner left and, and, and CP engineers helped out because the, the township was in a pinch like that. The, the the origin of their expanded role is, I think, looks fairly fine to me. It's more the fact that it's been codified and written into the process now. And lo and behold, yeah, you know, this is how. I, I, and again, I'm just my own personal take, um, you know, independent of the planning board or anything else like that. I do think that there are fiscal controls that, you know, you need to put in place and in order to ensure, ensure objectivity and, and do that. I think anytime you're outsourcing what no, would normally be a full-time town employee, you, you have a heightened sense of, you know, there's a heightened risk in that. 
mm-hmm. as a result of it. Um, I, I will tell you, I mean, just from a personal perspective, I mean, working with, you know, folks that are the professionals for, for the town. Um, you know, I look at David Simmons, I look at, you know, Tom Collins, I look at others that I've, I work with and, and these are genuine, you know, genuinely good, honest people, um, that again, each, each person plays their own individual role and, and has, you know, their own lanes and, and kind of where their focus and concentration is. But, you know, at the end of the day, I've found them to be, you know, genuine. I've found them to be honest. I, you know, I've never had any reason to doubt or suspect that there would be some sort of, uh, you know, secondary, Right. Yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, and, and I noticed that you don't mention Stan Push's name there, right? And you can't because he's already on record. You know, he's been involved in corruption scandals. I'm not asking you to comment on this in Sussex County already. Just Google it. It's in the NJ Herald. But um, the, 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 the important point here is that I, I honestly, I, I've been here for five minutes. Like I, I, I don't have any um, – acts to grind in terms of personal conflicts outside of anybody who's actively trying to reduce the transparency of this process, who I do have an axe to grind with. Um, but more importantly, like I, I haven't observed any, anything that I, like leads me to think that this is like a, a fully corrupt attempt on behalf of Stan or, or CP engineers to influence the process. I just think it's more a case of that they've been given too much leeway to pursue different interests simultaneously. So, you know, if you're a commercial firm with employees that you've got to pay and shareholders that, you know, have a claim on your business, it's completely understandable that you would be doing whatever you can to grow your revenues and to speak to as many clients as you can and to grow the footprint of your business, what you're meant to do. But it can become a problem if you've just been, in addition to your role advising the township, given the position where you, where you control the solicitation process for that service. And so it's like, it's not even forget illegal. Like it's not even hard to understand that, that somebody who's anointed with that level of power and authority will probably just almost passively and naturally move the pieces in favor of, of, you know, their clients who could be anyone and the township. And if they can do that in a way that sort of muddles through, that's what they'll do. And I think that's kind of what's happening here. I think it's more, it's more a case of us needing to tighten up the transparency on some of the process and insist on some more accountability than it is like some grand, you know, the scheme that's been cooked up behind closed doors in a cigar, you know, smoke filled cigar room. I don't think that's what happened at all. I I don't either. And I, and I agree with you. I think anytime we're looking at, the processes we're looking at the control mechanisms we're looking at you know again you you learn sometimes by you know pain and, and going through some certain steps and i think uh i think that's the case here i think looking at you know what can we do structurally from a town perspective to make sure that we've got you know better uh, i would say objectivity and independence it, you know those can be nothing but good things. And to be clear, you think that we should have a proper salary town planner or engineer to ensure that it's just, I mean, I'm asking you. Yeah. My, my personal opinion is yes. I've heard, you know, other arguments where, you know, again, given the, the depth and level, and there are times that you need to go outside of, you know, the depth of what you've currently got to do that. So, um, it, you know, I do think it, it it's helpful. Well, and but to be clear, that that is the the right model doesn't exclude that. Like some Agreed. some members of the town council have, have just said. So, I mean, there's no shortage of 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 stuff to giggle at when you listen to these meetings. But like the 
it's just a false choice has been presented. It's like, well, it's money well spent because we get all these services from CP engineers. And you're like, well, okay, yeah, sure. That was the old model as well. It's just that there was somebody who had a different incentive structure that sat in between the process and that firm. And I think that needs to return basically. Right? Yeah. And you know, I'm not close enough to understand. Again, my, my personal take is I prefer to have dedicated employees for town because I just think for, for a variety of reasons, um, you know, there's good and bad with that, I yeah. think. But at the end of the day, I, I, you know, that would be my personal, you know, just my personal. Just makes opinion. sense. Yeah. Right? After an ordinance is changed um, and something becomes a permitted use, can you describe what, if any, you know, you guys still can do to, to influence the approval process? So I don't know if it's, you know, what can we do to, you know, for the approval process per se, I think it's, you know, we can look at any application and we can make sure that it conforms. And if there are areas that it doesn't conform, or if there are areas that create significant problematic areas, I think it's, you know, our responsibility to ask for different considerations yeah. and, and things to change on the project. Again, when you've got a permitted use, you've got a permitted use. Yeah. I mean, and this is what I really want to get across to people. And because, I mean, it's not help. I haven't helped in this, but, you know, there is a perception out there that, that you guys are, are looking the other way on this. Yeah. And, and, and I'm probably, you know, guilty of stoking that bike by, by going up there and banging on like I do to, to be honest though, let's be honest, if I hadn't carried on like a dickhead, I wouldn't have got my question in. So I think I was well within my rights. And you wouldn't have until, cause you know, and, and here's another misconception. I mean, we talk a lot about transparency and we talk about, again, public perception and, and involvement in the process and everything. And, you know, one of the things I found, and, and this was very unique when I came on the planning board, cause I, I sort of had the similar mindset of, well, yeah, no, we would just, you know, everybody would have a say and input and like that would be yeah, you imagine a very kumbaya sort right. of environment. But what I come to learn, you know, going from an alternate to, you know, a, a regular member to, you know, and then other roles is it is so much like a judicial setting. The The requirements and the legalities around a planning board meeting wow. are vastly different than what it is for town council, right. what it is for zoning, what it is for, you know, the environmental committee. So, you know, when, when it was, and I was thinking back to, to the spar that, that we had in the, <laughs> in the meeting and, you know, certainly when in, anytime you've got you know, emotions high, you know, everybody gets tired, everybody gets frustrated. But, you know, one of the unique things about, you know, the process changes and we talk about process and, you know, trying to improve transparency and doing things slightly different is, I mean, even since the early part of January, traditionally, anytime a site application comes in or a subdivision, normally you will go through, again, the developer, the environmental, the architecture. Mm -hmm. And it's not until the very end that public even has an opportunity to comment on. That's just traditionally the way it's always been. Um, <clears throat> we made a very deliberate point this year to say, well, no, it, you know, I don't think that's the right balance that you want to strike. So that's when we'd introduced, you no, know, after each testimony, then folks would have an opportunity. And I think what, what ended up happening that night was <clears throat> it was, you know, we weren't in the segment where you're doing it. And, and I do take it seriously, the planning board and, and, and you know, the, the process. No, to be clear, to got. be clear, you were, you were doing the right thing by, by being resistant. And when I say you, I mean the board, because what I wanted, there was, there was going to be more time for the public to speak at the end after the environmental discussion but by not coming to the previous meeting, the developer had set up a situation where he answered questions in writing via his lawyer and then 
the only part of the where he was going to have to directly front the public was there was going to be like this long, boring discussion about, you know, the environmental approval, which I thought would take a bit of the sort of sting out of the what I was trying to say, which was, but I will admit I was surprised when you guys said yes. Like I, I, and I shouldn't say that because next time that I do it, it's not going to work. But, but like I, um, but I was happy that I got to, to confront them, I, I, but it's a good segue to a more important question, which is that, you know, going forward, this is, this must've put into really sharp relief for you. Like, you know, how the, the community is going to be laser focused on large developments like this. So, you know, what are you going to do or what conversations are you going to have to try and stop yourself from finding just finding yourself in this position again, where you're presiding over the approval of a project that everyone in the township hates and thinks that you're responsible for approving when your hands are tied. Like what, what do you do? So we're not obviously talking about anything related to right. current application. Yeah, yeah. So I can't comment on any of that. Um, I would tell you, you know, if I think of lessons learned of how can we engage, you know, I think what your question is, how, how can you engage the public better and how can you create more of a broader transparency with the public to facilitate, you know, concerns that may come from that. Well, my, my or, question's even rawer than that. My question is if I'm, if I'm, you know, sitting there, if I'm Drew Rayner, I'd be thinking, how do I stop this from happening again? Like how, how do I stop, you know, this thing is 10 times the size of the nearest comparable. Like you look at the map of the footprints, it's like looking at Jupiter next to Mars, right? And, I, you know, you're the chairman of the planning board and, and you know, this thing's get, potentially going to get approved on your watch. Now, you know, one of the reasons that I want, I'm stoked that you came in and, and I think you did the right thing is after this, people I hope will understand more that, your ability to influence the process on any approval, not on a specific approval, is eroded when the scope of the permitted use exemption is expanded. So like going forward, are you going to be like staying up late at night, studying every ordinance change that comes across your desk? Are you going to be insisting on some other form of review be available to the board, even under a permitted use uh, application? Like what... What are you going to do to stop yourself from finding a year from now, finding yourself in exactly the same position? So I, I think some of that starts with the examination of the, you know, the current municipal, you know, master plan, re-examinations, amendments. Th those are really the times to take very specific looks at the overall size and scope. What are the zones? What are the permitted uses in zones? What are, you know, what is, you know, what would make sense? You know, there are there are certain areas that your hands are tied from the standpoint that, you know, if you look at, again, peeling back to the original purpose of the ordinance, it was, you know, what was the reason behind it? It was to introduce rail to try and promote. Well, that's what they told you. I agreed. So, that, but that was. Because they went on record after and said that that wasn't the reason. So like, you can't have it both ways. And I know you're not advancing their argument, you're describing it for them, but it's important that every time that gets brought up, that it's said straight afterwards that that's what they said, but they've also told us that that wasn't true. So even if, <clears throat> let's, let's, let's say that we didn't even pass the ordinance. Let's say there was no ordinance in place or, or anything. You know, if there is something that's a permitted use, then they have an obligation and an opportunity to develop what is permitted in the town. So, you know, the size and scopes, yeah, they vary based on the size and scope of a, you know, of, of how much property and how much land is there. So if we took away, let's say, and, and, and you know, we go back to the original one where it was a 40% impervious coverage. 
you're still talking about a massive opportunity uh, for, you know, and, you know, again, depending on any size of property and it doesn't have to be on the rail. It doesn't have to be any of that. It could be, you, you know, in a different part of town if it's a permitted use. So I think you've always got to be, you've got to be due diligence. You've got to do your due diligence. You've got to be hyper-focused. Things like, you know, what we're experiencing today, I think certainly sharpen that pencil um, and, and make everybody a little bit more hyper-focused and aware. That's a good point. So going forward, people will have a much better, you know, feel for how important these rules changes can be. I, I think so. I mean, I, I certainly is, you know, as one and as embarrassing as it is to say this, it, you know, I never, you know, really thought about size, scope, magnitudes of some of the things that, you know, that come before us. Oh, um, I think that's understandable, mate, because like even among the, the, the town council members asked to vote on this, I still kind of give them a bit of a pass on like getting, getting, having to interpret whatever's in their pack every two weeks. Well, every four weeks, because I guess they canceled the meeting that was meant to be on yesterday, but that's got nothing to do with this. But, um, so the, but they, they get given a lot of stuff to review and, and I think it's unreasonable to assume that that they're going to be able to accurately forecast, you know, what each change might amount to in the future. Um, but that's why it's so important to have somebody who's providing insights on that, who's uninfected by the interests of any other commercial decision. Agreed. I mean, you've, you've got to have, you know, as any board, I think you've got to rely on those around you and you've got to make sure that you've got, cause you're, you're making decisions based off the best information that you have. Um, and if you don't have that information or, you know, obviously that can impact your decision. So, you know, to your point about, you know, there's a lot of applications that come through, you get, you know, we get them five days before we're going to sit down and, and see them. Um, so it, it is difficult and you've got to be diligent with it. And, and like I said, this is probably a wake up call for a lot of folks to say, look, there's, you know, there are, we need to be more vigilant in what we're looking at. Yeah. And last question on that, just in terms of the due diligence or last question at all, I think, so I reckon we've covered um, pretty much everything, but obviously feel free to say anything else if, that we haven't. Um, I mean, do you think that there needs to be um, just an honest, open conversation happened about how we discharge these approvals from the perspective of when the community gets to have a say, because at the end of the day, the waters have been muddied very, very aggressively by this whole process. And some of that's deliberate, some of it's not, but we've got a zoning board who won't hear anything about the matter, a planning board who's not allowed to rule on the matter, a town council, some members of whom are saying that they can't speak because they're conflicted out. Other members of whom are saying that they were actively deceived and we're still not sure whether or not a project 10 times bigger than the second biggest project of that of its definitional type is going to be approved or not like just it, it does seem like we just need to have an open conversation about getting better at discharging this process would you say that's fair i i would and i think um you know anytime you've got an opportunity to kind of reflect and, and say look what do we learn what do we learn? You know, it's about growth and development and making sure that we're, you know, we're taking what we know today and applying it for tomorrow. Yeah. I think there are, you know, there are certain channels, forums, advocacy groups, you know, things that you can do 
to try and solicit better engagement from the town. There are certain requirements that you can't. You know, I've heard people say, well, why don't you just do a referendum on this? Well, you can't. That's not le- statutory. Legally, you yeah, can't. Yeah, you've got to go so by whatever. it's within the confines of, of the, you know, legally and, and what's and that, that, that's, that's a good point, and I'm guilty of that as well. Like, I'm guilty of looking at stuff like Because when I first saw this, right, I saw the lawn signs, and I'm, like, driving from, you know, we cut between here and New York City, and, like, I was – I looked at it, and I, I think I rang up um, Neil or Anand. I'd seen their, their name in the paper. Someone had written something in the Spider Independent about it. Or maybe it was one of Jenny Derrick's articles. But anyway, I, I got their number, and I rang them, and I'm like – they told me what's going on and I'm outraged. And I'm like, oh, who do these fucking people think they are and all that? But then, like, you know, you you quite quickly come back to the realisation that it doesn't matter whether it's it's Congress or the Sparta Township Planning Board. Like, there are procedural rules that you need to adhere to and if you want to achieve reform and change, you need to make your argument in view of those rules. Agreed. And I think that's where you know, again, we can have an important influence on it is to say, look, where do we need to reevaluate? Again, w- within the confines of what we've got control over and the town council is, you know, they're going to have a different set of requirements than the planning board versus the, you know, the environmental committees and the zoning board. Um, and, and it also comes down to bold leadership. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I am a huge believer that, it, you know, Kind of the culture and and change and things that happen, you know, they need to be pushed from from strong leadership, mm-hmm. and you know, you've got to a recognize that there's a problem, and then b, how are we going to put meaningful steps in to fix that, mm-hmm. and, and what are those steps are going to consist of? Um, so I think anybody, you know, it's just you know, it's so important for them to to work, and I and I know the you know the town council, you know, I I know most of the players on there, and. They're good people. There is a lot of outreach that they do across the board. And I think any of them, I, I would say, would probably tell you, yeah, there's a lot of conversations and things that they're having. But I think I don't know of a singular form outside of the direct meetings that they've got where they can really come. Well, to I don't agree with that entirely. I mean, I think some of the members of the town council uh, uh, portray themselves as being engaged with the community without actually engaging. And I'm, I'm not asking you to comment on that, right? But it's very clear to me that like like Hertzberg and Quinn have have you know this this albeit exaggerated legal liability shield to hide behind to some extent saying that they they're they're part of the planning board so can't comment. The mayor, I, I've emailed him 15 times. I called him up, I've said we'll have an off-the-record conversation. He will not talk to me and not good enough. Now I'm not again, I'm just I'm I'm saying this just to in rebuttal to the general statement that that they're that they're all over it. Um, when you win an election, you don't just represent the people who voted for you. You represent the people who didn't vote for you. And uh, these guys need to, as we'd say in Australia, grow a pair and front up like you're doing right here today to to something which is unfolding. And um, and if they choose not to, then um, then they will bear the consequences of the public's currently very negative view of them um, only being cemented. But you don't you don't need to comment on that. I, there, there is a lot of room for more engagement with the community. Would be my statement on that. And, and I would totally agree with you. I think that I think that there is. I think there are areas that we can take you know broadly to try and support some of that stuff. Yeah, you know, my personal take was: look, if I've got an opinion or if I want to share with you, I'll pick up the phone. I'll have a conversation yeah, with yeah. you. Um, and so 
but my point behind that is there was a, you know, there was a post I saw the other night and it was, you know, a thoughtful post from, you know, a, a gentleman that was saying, look, these are some things I'd love to see, you know, just from a community perspective that we could do more of, you know, a quarterly newspaper, you know, letter, a, a more of an active forum from the town, like constructive, helpful suggestions. Um, you know, so there are, I think a lot of good people that are out there that are, are willing and able to, and, and have some great ideas on how we can improve it. Now it's trying to balance that, you know, how do you do it without making it overkill and mate, is this, hang on, I'm starting to feel like I might've got ambushed in this interview with the announcement meeting of the Drew Rena town council, uh, political campaign. No Any chance no, you're running? God, no, no. <laughs> No, I've, I, I have stated, I have stated to anybody that's asked me, I, I have zero political aspirations. I have no. <laughs> like jokes aside, the reason I say that jokes aside is like that what you've just said is like music to my ears. Like thinking about, okay, like even at the planning board, which is, you know, not a directly elected body, like the town council, but you're like, how can we, how can we engage and, and understand what the community that whose interests we're protecting want more? Like that's the right question, and not enough people are asking that in the town council. Um, so you know, maybe do stick your head in the air. But uh, no, I know that's not. I was just, I was just being silly, um, mate. I think that's a good, um, good opportunity to to wrap up. Um, thanks so much for coming, um, responding to the um, to the shout out. But seriously, look, I think you've explained really clearly how the ability for you to discharge your responsibility as chairman of the planning board is restricted heavily by things like changes to ordinance laws for the permitted use. So like, you know, I think it's important people understand that and it's, it's helpful for two reasons. It's helpful for people to, including myself, to understand your role in all this and, and how, how you can help. Um, it's also important in understanding what went wrong because if we're, if we're, if we're changing laws that basically make your job redundant, like, in a non-transparent way, then you're going to be the person who ends up with all the people banging on your door going, what's going on? Like they're doing today. <laughs> so it seems like even the chairman of the planning board doesn't think this thing should go ahead, right? Well, uh, there's more coming in the uh, next few weeks. So hopefully the picture is starting to become a little bit clearer about how this whole fiasco was allowed to unfold. Um, there's a lot of stuff coming out of this document dump that we've got, um, as well as uh, some very interesting conversations with other people who have been parties to the process in different ways coming in uh, coming weeks. So please stay tuned for episode five, uh, which should come out about midway through next week. And until then, I'm Jack Wright. Take it easy, Sparta.